A Bloomington man pleads guilty to a hate crime. Herald and Review reporter reflects on spring football season. More on these stories, I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. I'm Sierra Henry. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. This morning, Kelsey and I are going to start off today's podcast talking about a murder trial that has captured people's attention across the nation since last summer, setting off a re-examination of racism and policing in America. This week, a Minnesota jury found former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin guilty of murder and manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. 45-year-old Chauvin, who is white, used his knee to pin Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, to the pavement for nine and a half minutes on May 25th of 2020. After just over 10 hours of deliberation, the jury concluded Chauvin's actions were a substantial causal factor in Floyd's death and his use of force was unreasonable. He was found guilty of second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. He will be sentenced at a later date. In the days leading up to and following the verdict, which was read Tuesday afternoon, reporters across our three newsrooms have spoken with prominent local leaders about the case and its aftermath. To read more about what leaders locally and statewide have to say, head on over to panagraph.com, jg-tc.com, and herald-review.com to read the full stories. And now we're going to move into some local government news. Kelsey, kick us off with what is happening, like what is going on with clean energy in, in the state? For your state government news this week, we're going to check in with our state house reporter, Brendan Moore. About a half dozen competing clean energy proposals have emerged over the past few months during the General Assembly's spring session. Moore wrote this week. This includes backing from environmental activists, labor unions, and utility services like Ameren and Commonwealth Edison. The proposals come as President Joe Biden announced during a global climate summit plans to cut America's greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030. Governor J.B. Prisker is also expected to announce his own clean energy bill as early as next week, Moore wrote. Brennan took a deep dive look at some of these competing plans and spoke with those supporting them, so if you want to learn more about what's to come in the next few months, head on over to any of our three sites, panagraph.com, jg-tc.com, and herald-review.com. Um, in Bloomington Normal this week, documents obtained by the Panagraph showed that the Twin Cities are planning to conduct an independent audit of shared infrastructure and utility billings after both municipalities discovered that Bloomington may owe more than $600,000 in unremitted sanitary sewer charges accumulated across nine years. Wow, that was a mouthful. And you know what? This story is a mouthful. So at the heart of this issue is an uncodified arrangement between the town and the city allowing Bloomington to bill and collect fees from normal customers who are supplied with Bloomington water but are served by normal sewer. It is unclear when the agreement was first established, but under its terms, Bloomington would remit the collected sewer revenues to normal. In letters, normal city manager Pam Reese has suggested that the city hasn't remitted the funds since at least 2012. This is a complicated story and involved back and forth discussions between Bloomington city manager Tim Gleason and normal city manager Pam Reese, both hired well after the unwritten agreement was made. Both municipalities are working jointly to work through the issue and if you want to know more about the hows and whys of this story, read Tim Egger and my report at panagraph.com. And down in Coles County this week, the Charleston City Council approved grants for four businesses in the downtown Charleston area to assist efforts for planned renovations. The projects received the money through the city's tax incremental financing district program and are expected to cover half the total cost of each project. 
The grants include a $10,000 award each to Mike and Stan's 504 Club Tavern and Z's Music and Sound. Geisler and Weaver Law Office received $9,211, and Horton Stein Properties LLC, an, apart- an apartment rental business, received $3,675 for buildings in the 500 block of 6th Street. For the full rundown on these projects, read Dave Lepay's story at jg-tc.com. And now let's move into some health news. Sierra, take it away. Macon County on Friday uh, moved back into the warning status for exceeding at least two of the state metrics used to measure the spread of COVID-19, Herald and Review reporter Donette Beckett wrote. The Macon County Health Department said that the number of cases per 100,000 people has been over 50, and the emergency department visits for COVID-19 have increased for two consecutive weeks. Uh, It is in part an overall trend in Region 6, which includes Macon County, and Donette has the full story at herald-review.com, so if you want to know what this means, uh, head on over and read Donette's story. At-home COVID-19 testing kits have hit major retailers, and Panagraph reporter Lindsay Jones wrote this week everything you need to know about these tests. The kits can be purchased over-the-counter at stores like Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, and Schnucks. No prescription needed. The idea comes as leaders continually state that the world is not through the COVID pandemic yet, despite a rise in vaccinations. One thing people do need to consider, however, is that the McLean County Health Department is relying on people to self-report their at-home antigen test results. So if you want to know more about at-home testing kits, be sure to read Jones's full scoop over at Panagraph.com. And let's move into some education. Over in Charleston, the Eastern Illinois University Board of Trustees approved a tuition increase this week. New students who are, are Illinois residents heading to Eastern in the fall will pay a rate of $315.74 per semester hour, which is an increase of $7.10. This increase for returning students will be $6.04. The new rate for new out-of-state students will be $394.68, an increase of $9.63. Graduate students' rates will increase from $312.63 to $320.45 for Illinois residents and from $750.31 to $769.07 for out-of-state students. Kelsey told me that she was going to make me read a lot of numbers, and I just went through it. So can we all just acknowledge for a second that I did not stumble on any of those numbers? (laughs) Okay, back to the story. The board also increased housing rates and fees. To find out more about these rate changes and what else the trustees acted on Friday, be sure to find Dave Fopay's story at jg-tc.com. And Kelsey, (laughs) Kelsey's going to wrap it up with some... Uh, some features that she's written in the last couple of weeks that are really, really great and you should te- check out, but we haven't, we have not discussed in the podcast, I mean. Yeah, I just wanted to go back a little bit and quickly hit on some of the more fun stories, highlighting what students have been doing that we haven't touched on at all in the podcast. First is Annie Sun, a senior at Normal Community. She published a 300-plus page book in the fall, and not only did this 17-year-old write a book, but she wrote a book in two languages. Annie grew up in China, so it's only fitting this book, Igniting Snow, is in both Chinese and English. 
Another teenage author, Thomas Dyrick, just celebrated the publication of his book, Central Illinois Train Depots, with a book signing at Normal West. Thomas is a senior this year and went on several multiple-hour trips across the region to see these train depots and take a bunch of pictures for the book, and the book also features quite a lot of historical images. Katie Olson, a freshman at Chesterton Academy of the Sacred Heart in Peoria, drew this picture of Mary Magdalene right before Easter that captures the, quote, shock, fear, and hope that she's believed to have felt when she discovered the tomb was empty on Easter morning. Olson, who lives in Bloomington, had such a positive response from the picture that she's now selling prints and will be donating half of the earnings back to her school. And last but certainly not least, Karis Opsel, a sophomore at Normal West, is another young artist who absolutely took my breath away. Two of her pieces, called Black in America and Flower Girl, are now on display at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago as a part of their Black Creativity Juried Art Exhibition. And that'll be on display, I believe, until Independence Day. So I know that was like four long story shorts in one, but these kids are so impressive. They absolutely deserve all the recognition and I will gladly admit to having that bias. So you can find all those stories over at Panagraph.com. And now moving into sports. Hey folks, there have been a lot of sports stories that we've missed out on this spring as sports have slowly returned, but something that none of us probably saw coming was how COVID rocked the football season. Because schools couldn't miss out on those Friday night lights, for the first time ever, football was held during the spring. As the final football season games kicked off last night, Herald and Review reporter Matt Flatten reflected on this past season. This was a great story, hitting all the highlights, so if you want to catch up on some exciting games that happened this spring, head on over to heraldhydronreview.com and read Flatten's column. Kudos to the football players as well. I know this wasn't ideal, but I'm glad that the kids got to do what they love and didn't have to miss out on a whole football season. Now over in basketball, after 36 years of coaching, Eureka High School basketball coach Tim Mice is hanging up his whistle. An Illinois Basketball Coaches Association Hall of Famer, Mice is retiring with a 658-486 to career record. He's a man who will be sorely missed by his players on the court, having been one to shape these young athletes. During his time coaching, Mice has had athletes who went on to play professionally, including Chris Martin, and he was also a coach to Ben Zobrist and Andy Studbaker, who went on to play professionally in baseball and football, respectively. To read more about Mice and his accomplishments, check out Randy Reinhardt's story at Panagraph.com. And moving into Division I sports, recent pledges from 15 donors will put more than $3 million towards the Ubin Basketball Complex renovation and expansion project at the University of Illinois, the school announced this week. The new pledges come from 15 families, and now U of I has secured $22 million in commitments for the complex renovation, which is scheduled to begin in May. Athletics Director Josh Whitman said the project will be program-changing for Illinois basketball. And the men's basketball team head coach said he's so touched by the generosity of the donors and the fans who've supported the program. Matt Flotten has the full story on the Open Complex over at herald-review.com. And now we can move into some public safety and courts news. Uh, a Decatur man died Wednesday afternoon in the emergency room at Decatur Memorial Hospital from a gunshot wound to his left leg. Macon County Coroner Michael Day identified the shooting victim as 37-year-old Christopher Smith. Police said that he had been taken to the ER in a private vehicle and this shooting is still under investigation. For more on the shooting and for future updates, you can find Tony Reed's stories at herald-review.com. A Bloomington man entered a guilty plea Friday afternoon for crimes related to a protest last summer. 
22-year-old Marshall Blanchard pleaded guilty to two counts of failure to give information after a motor, motor vehicle accident and one count of a hate crime. He was arrested in June after several witnesses, including a Blinton police officer, reported seeing him drive his motorcycle into a crowd that was marching downtown after a rally held in response to George Floyd's murder. Blanchard struck and injured two people when he drove into the crowd. As part of the plea deal, 14 criminal charges and three traffic offenses were dismissed. For further details on Blanchard's case and the plea deal, be sure to check out my story at panagraph.com. A Shelby County man is charged with killing his grandmother, Herald and Review Tony Reed reported this week. Six counts of first-degree murder were filed against 25-year-old Clayton Anderson. His grandmother, 72-year-old Sherry Hubbard, was found in a closet of her Clarksburg home last weekend. Anderson is also charged with the concealment of a homicide death and possession of a stolen car. Uh, a Decatur man, 19-year-old Thomas Miller, was also charged in this case with concealment of homicidal death and possession of a stolen vehicle. Authorities said the pair were arrested when they were caught fleeing, fleeing to Nevada. If you'd like to read more about this case and what kind of sentencing these men could be facing, go to herald-review.com to find Tony's story. Um, I feel like maybe... Yeah. <laughs> that was bleak. That was bleak. And um, we don't really have any community news to talk about um, other than we just had oh, one heck of a week. It was a weird week. It was, it was just a weird week. That's all I had. It was just a weird week. It was a weird week. We had a lot of scoops. We had a lot of hard news. Not a lot of community news. Well, I mean, it is community news. I think the Derek Chauvin trial was like... I mean, we talked about it at the top. We didn't really talk about it, like, in terms of what it really did for the community. But, I mean, it was just a really touching... I mean, the leaders that we talked with, it's just... It was a very emotionally charged story. So, Kelsey and I really didn't want to end on, like, a goofy note, as sometimes we are known to do. Um, But I guess we can just keep plugging that story because I think it is so important for everyone to read and... It just, it says a lot, uh, the leaders that we spoke with in the community, um, I, it was just, I mean, I spoke with um, Kimberly Cummings, uh, who was the first uh, black woman to be elected to the Normal Town Council, and she was just in tears talking with me moments, minutes after the verdict was read, and just to hear the, the raw emotion in her voice was just very powerful and she just she I think we just need to continue uplifting um black voices in our community and and shining light on these horrible acts of police violence yes I um also had some emotionally charged conversations I spoke with leaders from our local branch of the NAACP Linda Foster and Dr. Carla Campbell Campbell Dr. Carla Campbell Jackson as well as um some leaders from not in our town and not in our schools um and just, you could hear the emotion in their voice, and they, you can hear the emotional toe the past 11 months has taken, as well as the last all of the years, 400 years, uh, of emotional weight, and a Minnesota jury made history this week, and so many people said that that's not victory, it's just a, a first step. But it is history, and this is this is important. So um, please check out all our coverage. Um, all three of our properties had really incredible coverage of this of this day and this moment that 
I don't I know I'm never gonna forget yeah so we have we have a lot of work to do um but we're gonna keep moving forward and we're gonna keep doing the work that needs to be done and that's gonna do it for us today folks um as always if you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting check us out on apple Podcasts, spotify or google podcasts while you're at it head on over to panagraph.com herald-review.com and jg-tc.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism